Hello, hello, and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from tech, media, business, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today on the pod, we have a friend. We have a friend of the show, I'm assuming, hopefully one day. We have Amanda McLaughlin, the creator and CEO of Multitude, though she's done a lot of other super impressive, very interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask her that much about. Amanda, thank you for being here. My pleasure. I am so excited to talk to you and see your face and talk about all the things that I never get to talk about. This is such a good format for a podcast and I'm glad to be on it. Coming from the podcast queen, that really means a lot to me. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Main Street. Every day when I log on to Twitter, I'm greeted by Nick Abuzade's smiling face besides a promoted tweet about Main Street asking me if I am a seed stage startup. Unfortunately for me, I'm not, but you might be. So founders, here's the deal. You're owed more than $50,000 in tax credits from the government, seriously. And Main Street can get it back for you in 20 minutes. The truth is that the first 30 to 50,000 times I saw ads for Main Street, I thought it sounded too good to be true. But then Nick gave me the rundown. The US government annually sets aside $100 billion for startups. Main Street connects directly into your payroll system to find which of those credits and incentives apply to your business. Then they'll advance you on the cash you're owed in real time at 0% interest. Oh, and 90% of venture-backed startups qualify. It costs nothing to find out how much you're owed, and listeners of Non-Technical can book a free white glove onboarding call today at MainStreet.com slash Non-Technical. Amanda McLaughlin is the creator and CEO of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio based in New York City. Multitude produces original shows, publishes free resources for podcasters, and helps clients of all sizes create, market, and grow great shows. Before starting Multitude in 2018, she was a YouTuber and small business advisor. Her career is dedicated to helping other creators make a living by making great stuff online. Amanda, we love to see it. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. All the people you've had on the show have been so interesting professionally, but it turns out also interesting personally. So I hope I can meet that bar. Yes, you're going to meet the bar. You're going to clear the bar. Just jump, sail right over it. Thank you. I mean, in this scenario, the bar is one of those hurdles on a racetrack. I don't know if you have any experience running hurdles. I sure don't, Alexis. I was a fat, pale, <laughs> indoor kid. I was also an indoor kid. <laughs> I have a lot of experience stepping over piles of books to get out of my own room. So that's what yeah. I'll picture. Yeah, I have a lot of experience sitting on the floor untangling controllers and cords and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Amanda, I am so excited to talk with you. Obviously, you and I know each other from the before times. We are also Twitter friends, which is becoming a very important level of friend in my life. We also both lived in New York. I always love to talk to people who have lived in New York. You've also been up to some pretty interesting things recently that I am excited to dig into. And so my first question for you is, how did you spend your last day off? On my last day off, it's a semi-day off because my partner, Eric Silver, and I started doing Twitch streaming over Christmas of this past year. Yes. Because we're a Jewish household. Nothing's happening. There's a great mm -hmm. week off where nobody's sending you emails. And so we started streaming <gasps> Pokemon on Twitch. And it's extremely fun. So most Saturdays, I do that. But my last Sunday that I had off, I went mm. antiquing with my grandma. And it oh, was yes. <laughs> so nice to be able, A, to see her, both of us vaccinated Aww. and safe. But we went in search of a headboard for her and like a little store 
stool for my mm. house and I got a jadeite bowl. Do you know about jadeite? Is it like jade? It's the color of jade and it's just sort of like cloudy, almost seafoamy green glass. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Martha Stewart mm-hmm. has like a famous collection of jadeite. And we just stumbled upon a beautiful jadeite bowl for like $10. And I'm still talking about it. It's like my crowning achievement. I'm so proud of it. What a find. I'm always talking about finds. <laughs> this is a find that I would brag about over dinner. Like if you and I were at dinner and I had found the bowl, I'd be like, Amanda, let me tell you about this bowl. And I would want to hear it, you know, and that's something I appreciate about you. Yes. As well as the fact that I worked in finance as my mm-hmm. first job. And I feel like I can't talk with very many people about VC culture and like mm. tech <laughs> culture and like make jokes about, you know, like interest rates. And you definitely yeah. can, which I love. I'm always down to hang. I love a good interest rate joke. I love a good compound interest commentary. Oh, yeah. I love it, too. So I have a question about antiquing. Growing up, I had to spend some time antiquing with my parents in and around Connecticut. And whenever I entered into an antique shop, I always felt a specific heaviness. (laughs) And I'm wondering, what does it feel like for you to be in antique stores or among antique things? I find them really fascinating. Like my favorite thing is sort of very purpose-built objects and items um, and like looking at a tool and either asking, you know, my my parent or one of my grandparents what they were or just trying to imagine that or mm-hmm. looking at like a perfectly made little chisel that's like exactly the size of your palm. I just love not to be too pretentious, but like craftsmanship, you know, and like purpose made <laughs> objects. And I just find it like a fascinating, you know, museum that I can touch. It's great. It is great. What is the heaviness that you described? I don't know what it is. I've always felt this way about antique stores. The second I walk into them, it's like, all this stuff is so old and all of it ended up here somehow, but it all likely took a different winding path to get there. I can't separate the object from where it came from. I look around and I see a little jewelry box or a painting. And I'm like, oh man, I wonder who did that painting. I wonder whose house it was in. I wonder who finally decided to give it up. I wonder if that was hard. I wonder if they regret it. And then I go down this loop (laughs) triggered by each of the object, except that's the entire store. So everywhere I look, I feel that way. (laughs) No, that's, that's so true. I think about that in museums as well. Like seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, blown glass items from ancient Egypt Mm. or something. So many people had to not fuck up for that to still be here and and to be, you know, intact. And that is amazing. Well, I'm excited for you and I'm excited for your grandma and I'm excited that you got to go and be amongst the antiques. Have you ever been known as the something person? Like, you know how we were indoor kids? (laughs) Yes, definitely an indoor kid. Definitely like the bookworm or the reading kid. Quite often, I would be mistaken for a sub. A couple times I was standing at the front of the classroom pretending to sub for a grade older or younger than me. Or a a real sub would walk in and I'd be like, oh, we have this covered. Don't worry about it. And then the rest of us would just goof off for the class. So I wasn't particularly popular in school. I wasn't like unpopular. I was sort of like, you know, a a neutral entity. But I think that curried Mm -hmm. me some favor uh, with my peers. And it's so entertaining to me looking back. Absolutely. Did you ever use that power for 
evil. I also like told hall monitors not to worry when I saw friends of mine that were, you know, not supposed to be in the hallway or not supposed to be in the parking lot. And I use the staff bathroom quite a lot. Yes. Is a real hack. That's a huge hack. I love that you were using your powers to help your friends. I like subverting systems. And I think for a kid who loves following rules so much, the fact that I grew up to be like quite into heists and (laughs) anti-capitalist scams and things like that, I think it's a natural conclusion in a way. Sure. When you say you are... (laughs) quite into heights. Could you tell me (laughs) what that means? Or can you tell me the amount that the law would allow you to disclose that that means? No, sure. I I respect a good heist. You know, I respect Mm -hmm. a good scam. I like reading about particularly white collar crimes and financial scams because having worked in finance, I get how Basically, that's what the system encourages you to do in a lot of ways. Like they're not, Mm -hmm. you know, they're they're not unrelated from what the system wants you to do. Hmm. And I just love heist movies. It's sort of like a genre of crime that ultimately the victim is generally like a corporation, you know, or like a government. And that kind of makes me feel good. So I just I respect heist energy so strong. At the beginning of quarantine, we watched like 20 heist movies in a row over the course of several weeks. It was really, really good. Do you think you could pull off a heist with all of that knowledge? I think about this all the time. And I think (laughs) (laughs) as a good kind of segue, actually, in these two topics, I think I would be the person that walks in with confidence to like get you into the Mm -hmm. building. Like I would pose as an auditor or a fire inspector and and just Mm. with confidence and real like white lady manager energy, be able to come in and just be like, yep, I'll just be in the back. Don't worry about it. And get the crew in. Wow. That's an that's a pivotal role in a heist. It's the same skill that lets me sort of walk into a hotel lobby and confidently use their bathroom and walk out in Manhattan. 100%. Amanda, I think that might also be the role I would play in the heist. There you because go. Because I, I have big, I am supposed to be here energy. Oh, yes. Yes. 100%. <laughs> and I think that's what would help us in this heist situation. Well, if we ever teamed up for a heist, <laughs> we'd be unstoppable. I guess we would need people to do literally every other part of the heist. But in terms of the looking confident walking in the door part, we would have that in droves. We also have managerial experience. We can also make sure everybody mm-hmm. gets paid at the end of the day. Listen, yep. I think you'd be great at heists. And if you ever feel Thank down you. about yourself, I hope you remember that. I, re- I will replay this segment of the podcast the next time I'm doubting whether or not I could fully pull off a heist. 100%. Did a favorite heist movie rise to the top of that 20 heist binge? I think that Inside Man is my favorite heist movie. It is 2006, Denzel Washington. It is a classic, but it's one I'd never seen before. And I watched it mm. immediately again once I finished the movie, which I think is quite wow. a testament to how good it was. But yeah, it was just... That is a really excellent film. I'm glad also that you said a movie that I've seen because frankly, most of the time when I ask people what movie, I have not seen it. Thank you for giving me this moment. <laughs> You're welcome. And obviously, I mean, the, the Oceans trilogy, like Oceans 11, I will put on when oh. I'm feeling down or sick and just watch it over and over and over again on a loop. So good. So good. If you were to pull off a heist, do you know what kind of heist you would want to pull off? I would definitely want to like repatriate, uh, you know, artifacts or redistribute wealth. Nice. Okay. But, so we're doing a benevolent heist. Totally. Yes. A heist for the people. I think that is the only kind of heist worth doing, you know? This is the Robin Hood of heisting right now. I love that. I would make sure that I planned for some kind of dramatic reveal in the end, where even if I knew that it was all fine, Mm -hmm. just being able to like pull the drop cloth off of, you know, like the the clone of the safe that you painstakingly built. That's just so delicious. Oh, that sounds satisfying. I'm ready to heist. This is great. <laughs> Listen, isn't isn't every day that you're self-employed kind of a heist on the man? Like, you know what? 
Yes. <laughs> you can look at heisting so many ways. I love that. Do you ever have a joke idea in your brain and you're like, I want to pull it off, but I'm just not going to stick the landing, but you feel like you need to say it anyway? All the time, please. This is a safe space. There's like a co-heist, co-host joke <laughs> that I, I can't that. get to. <laughs> well, marinate on it and and let me know. I will. I'm going to sit on that. I'm going to sit with that. Let it let it wash over me, bathe in it, and I will come back to you with a pretty top-notch co-heist, co-host joke at some point. I can't guarantee it will be today, this week, this year, but someday, Amanda, maybe when we're doing our heist, I'm going to I'm going to stop the heist. I'm going to be like, "Wait." <laughs> I nailed it. I'm ready for the joke. Yeah, it was introduced in the first act of the movie. It comes to fruition in the Uh, third act. It's perfect. Yes. Mm, I love that. So, Amanda, is there a fad? This could be fashion, cultural, workout, whatever, that you look back on participating in that now makes you a little cringy? I think when I was a uh, sort of like mid-teenager growing up in the suburbs of New York City and going into New Mm -hmm. York a lot, I aspired to like this disaffected sort of like irony or detachment or like hipster Mm -hmm. disillusionment that was quite prevalent from 2005 to, you know, 2011 or 12 or so. And that was a bummer. And being enthusiastic about stuff is kind of my, my whole bag now. Oh, same. Can you give me some insight into what the soundtrack was like for you during those years? Oh, yeah. 500 Days of Summer soundtrack and all of those kind of like the Bell and Sebastian, Vampire Week was also really big. They were Mm -hmm. big in the sort of like suburban New York teenager world. My mom listened to a lot of 80s pop rock. And so Billy Joel, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Dave Matthews Band, Fish, Grateful Dead. This is sort of like the amalgam of childhood music I grew up with and musicals as well. I was a a, a technical theater kid. And so lots of musical soundtracks all the time. So when you were listening to some of the more, let's say of those bands that you mentioned, of the more mainstream ones, when you listen to them, were you listening to them ironically or were you listening to them because you really liked them? I really liked indie bands and would only allow Mm -hmm. myself to really like indie or alternative bands or things that people on the internet said were cool. And it wasn't yeah. until I was sort of in college in 20, you know, 12, 13, 14, where I was like, you know what? Pop is fucking amazing. Lord, so good. Yeah. Taylor Swift, lots of bops. That happened to me too, yeah. honestly. And I don't know what, I think Lady Gaga was the one that really showed me that pop was incredible totally. and also art. Um, This is a hill I will super die on, by the way. And I remember just being like, why haven't I just been enjoying my life listening to pop music? Why have I been over here, you know, twee, soft, acoustic band on repeat instead of just living my life, rocking out to some Lady Gaga? It was a moment. Yeah, it really was. And I I love the Mountain Goats, internet fave, sort of like indie band. Sure. But they also cover pop all the time. Um, and so like oh, seeing cool. them cover, you know, Panic at the Disco or mm, Fall Out yes. Boy makes me so happy mm-hmm. because I spent quarantine getting really into Fall Out Boy. And I feel like really? I'm claiming some of that mainstream, <laughs> you know, music that I missed out on in my younger years. That is awesome. Is there anything your family did growing up that at the time you thought was normal and then later you realized was sort of strange? Yes. Uh, I spent a lot of my childhood doing construction. My really? dad, yeah, is one of 11 Irish kids and his family- One of 11? Yes. Owned uh, like brick 
bricklaying business. Okay. And so he did bricklaying like on summer breaks, like he's an office job, but like on the weekends, summer mm-hmm. breaks, things like that. And my uncles and aunts, somebody was always talking about repairing their truck, you know, some gig that they were doing. And when we go out and about like pointing out nice brick patterns and sidewalk or like cool, you know, architectural features of old houses, stopping at yes. garage sales and being like, oh, like this is a specific trowel for this task. That's totally wow. where I get my like love of antiquing from. And so we'd stop at yeah. every garage sale. And even my siblings and I now, I have siblings who are 23 and one who's 27. And so the thing that really binds us all together is like someone will send a Facebook marketplace listing of like a weird old trunk. And all of us are like, that trunk's so cool. And so <laughs> that is not a thing that I realize many people necessarily have, but it's one I'm, I'm really grateful that I do. That's so nice. It bonds you all together. It does. It does. And it also means that I'm terrified to invite family over because if my mm. shelves are not level, if my uh, apartment sink is in a weird place, you know, yep. it's going to get commented on. Yeah. When my uncles dropped me off at my apartment one time. One of them got out and like patted the wall of my, you know, brick oh apartment building in Queens. <laughs> yes. And was like, nice. And I was like, phew, that could have gone oh my really gosh. bad. That is great. Picturing an uncle patting the side of a brick building and yep. just saying, nice. Yep. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a level of approval I would like in my life. It really gives you a complex in some ways, but I uh, sure. it makes me very happy. So are there a lot of different patterns for bricklaying? A lot of different patterns, yes. Wow. And a lot of artful ones. And then there are a lot of ones mm. kind of out of necessity, like ways to use bricks so that it, it appears, like you kind of stretch them out to make mm-hmm. them appear bigger or go farther than yeah. they would otherwise. You know, in like Ireland and England, a lot of those sweet little stone walls that you see all over yeah. the fields, some of them aren't for any purpose. They're too low to like keep livestock back. It's just yeah. because as you dig up the fields, there's rocks and what are you going to do with them? So you just pile them up. Oh. And so just like knowing little things like that. That's so is fun. my favorite. Yeah, my favorite thing. So are you handy as a result? I am handy. And it's something that brings me a lot of joy and contemplation, you know, is like moving into a new apartment mm-hmm. and figuring out the best little places to put up the shelf or like put the bureau or yeah. make a little shoe area. So kind of like organization, maximizing space, random kind of household repairs. Uh, I am I am quite good at. Wow. That's such a great skill to have, especially living in an apartment. If you can make little things your own, if you can take ownership over little pieces and corners, that is a fantastic skill. It's really nice to be able to, you know, make your home feel like it's working for you. Even, you know, lived in a lot of weird apartments in my life, but each of them, I know that I'm making work to their maximum efficiency, which brings me a lot of satisfaction. Yes, that's great. So Amanda, I shared earlier that Lady Gaga's pop music is art would be one of the tiniest hills that I'm willing to die on. And I want to know what's the tiniest hill you're willing to die on. You tell me which of these you think is tinier, but one of them is Mayonnaise is great. And uh, stop shaming people for liking mayonnaise. You cannot like it. That's fine. But it's great. And two, life is short. Get tattoos. You're on this mortal coil for not that long. Yes. Decorate your flesh prison while you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Both of these hills are truly excellent. Let's unpack. Let's start with mayonnaise. (laughs) I'll go on the record. I like mayonnaise. I love mayonnaise. I love mayonnaise. I said it. Yeah. It's good. It's good on stuff. In moderation, I don't like a lot of mayonnaise. You can ruin a good sandwich with a lot of mayonnaise. But I would say if someone said, do you like mayonnaise? The answer to me, it is yes. Yeah. Uh, As a a lactose intolerant person, it is 
Mm -hmm. really good way, basically the only way that you can get that kind of creamy, like dairy texture, because there's no milk and mayonnaise. It's eggs and oil. And you eat those things separately all the time. So people are really bothered by it, though. I think there's some fat shaming in there. I think there's some classism in there. Mayonnaise is great in grilled cheese as a grilled cheese uh, lubricant Mm -hmm. to get good browning. We love a grilled cheese lubricant. I've always said this. And and we love we love a good sauce vehicle. And mayonnaise (laughs) is a great sauce vehicle. Stir in some ketchup. Yeah, some vinegar, some hot sauce, whatever you want. 100%. And can we just call it out? Like, aioli is just fancy mayonnaise. And so if you like aioli, I hate to break it to you, folks. You like mayonnaise. And you have to live with that. If you have a bad impression of it, you're allowed. I don't hate you. If you've Mm -hmm. ever had it, you know, glopped onto sandwiches and are like, not for me, Mm -hmm. or like a wet tuna salad, I totally get it. But try (laughs) try like like a teaspoon of mayonnaise, you know, on on your bread, split up between both sides one time and and see how you like it. A hundred percent. I heard a joke. I think this was in like 2013 or 2014 one time, or maybe it was just a comment that somebody said to me, but they were like, people in New York would rather admit to doing cocaine than liking mayonnaise. (laughs) People in New York will brag (laughs) about both doing cocaine and not liking mayonnaise, in fact. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I was like, that is, that's pretty spot on. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that we're just breaking down the stigma around liking mayo. Yeah. I listen, I think so. I'm allergic to garlic, which is a very weird thing. Oh, no. Yeah. Garlic, onions, scallions, that whole like family. It's really tragic for my own flavor. That is tragic. um, That is tragic. But that does mean that I am extremely good at making my own aiolis and remoulades. And it's something that I wish everybody had the joy of knowing that you can make your favorite sauce to go with whatever takeout you buy. Wow. I wish I even knew what a a remoulade was. It's like a special sauce. If you ever see like a special sauce on a burger or like a fry special sauce. Oh, like a thousand island dressing sort of a vibe. Yeah, that kind of family Mm. of like ketchup mayo based combos is what I use it to refer to anyway. This is huge for us and for the show and for the listeners to, you know, just kind of really look inward, I think, and make peace with your God. If you like mayo, I think that's okay. In fact, I think that's wonderful and we should all be more open about it. So you can put mayo on a lot of good stuff like French fries. It's good. Agreed. That's great. And then the second hill that you mentioned, in addition to the mayo, was that I think this is a medium hill. Okay. I love it. This is that life is short, get tattoos. Yes. Mm, I love this. So I would love to get a tattoo. My mom will be very mad still to this day. Totally. My mom uh, has a tattoo and was still really mad when I got my first tattoo. Really? Really? How old were you when you got your first tattoo? Few days over 18. And you know what? Okay. That I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even the, like, I think I have to carve out an exception here and say, like, most mm. tattoos, even if you regret them mildly one day, it's a good thing to do. You enjoyed it while you had it. It's like an interesting marker of what was important right. to you then, with the exception right. of, like, hate speech. And I would say, like, right. portraits of people or corporations or logos, but, like, dead mm-hmm. writers, you know, things that are important to you. Yeah. Flowers, because you think they're pretty, in my case. Yes. Um, it's, yes. It's worth it. Like, it's, you know, life is short. Get it. If you regret it later, you get to have a fun story. And, um, you know, start in places that you can cover up that way. You kind of work your way up to the one that you want to look at every day. When you got your first tattoo, did you feel different afterward as a person who now has a tattoo at 18? Yes. It was invigorating because it happened sort really? of just before my prom. And I, I was, again, mm. nerdy kid. I never drank yep. underage, hadn't had sex, yep. hadn't really kissed mm-hmm. that much. And so I felt mm-hmm. kind of quite behind my peers mm. in a lot of ways. But I was like, you know what? You know who has tattoos under their graduation gown? I bet not a lot of you. And I felt extremely good about my decision. What was the reaction like from your friends or from the people who previously thought 
you had the maturity of a substitute teacher. Exactly what you would imagine, which is complete shock <laughs> and uh, grudging yeah. respect. And it was a really good note to kind of like end high school on. Oh, that's kind of a mic drop moment for you. <laughs> Senior year. <laughs> I, I think it was. I, I haven't thought about this since it happened, actually. But um, yeah, great. Now I have... Mm-hmm you know, a half sleeve on one arm, a full sleeve on the yep. other. I, I like being a person with tattoos and it's it's a good kind of like queer coded signaling type mm. thing as well. Where mm. like, you know, you're a, a femme person with short hair and a bunch of tattoos. Like, you know, you, you, you get the message. And it's a fun nod of recognition that you can sort of give, you know, cool baristas and like people you see on the street. That's awesome. That's great. Wow. Hmm. I wonder if this will be the year of my tattoo, Amanda. I don't know. I think it's been a great quarantine project for me, uh, working on this sleeve as I have over the last year. It's a, a fun way to mark time passing and a fun thing that's just for you. And you get to show it off in, in your clothing. And that's really neat. Yep. Yeah. Okay. More to come on this for me, but that's awesome. And I love that you had that mic drop moment leaving high school. See you later, jabronis. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so good. That's great. What's something non-work related that you are really proud of? Um, I am really proud of my tattoos. I think they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of myself for committing to that. And sort of when I was leaving my office job, it was like carrot I had for myself where, you know, once mm. it is appropriate for me to have tattoos, or at least my workplace doesn't forbid it, then, you know, or, you know, seriously, culturally disapprove yes, of yes. it, then it was like a, a commitment to a life of working for myself or being creative, or at least, you know, putting myself in environments where that is acceptable. And I have been able to do that so far. That's awesome. I love that. That's a great point. You're your own boss. No one's going to be like, that's not the dress code. That is quite true now. Yeah, I like chopped all my hair off, came out, got a bunch of tattoos, moved to Queens, all in the same like six months, started dating with partner Eric. And it <laughs> you was, got bingo. It was a, quite a transformative uh, 2017 for me. I, I recommend it to anybody who's thinking about it. Big year, 2017. <laughs> that's amazing. Amanda, speaking of you were living in Queens. Now you live in Brooklyn. If you could pick up your house and everything in it, so the decor, the furniture, all the things you fixed, et cetera, and move it to a different location, would you? And where would you go? I totally would. I'm very into it in theory. You know, we've talked about Portland is so great. Austin is so mm. cool. We w- we've been to Amsterdam and really loved it. I've been to Scotland and love Scotland as well. Mm. My family's from like bumfuck Ireland, which is also a beautiful sure. place, but I'd probably move to, you know, Galway instead. So in theory, we definitely would. There's just got to be like other Jewish people in the city. So, so far that okay. lens has been like, you know, not much better than New York, really. Yeah. Yeah. In theory, I think one day that would be really fun. Do you know what the Jewish community is like in some of those other cities? Uh, Not big. Different flavors of not big. We love traveling. And I think once we're able to do so again, that to me is the ultimate like self-employment flex is to be like, yes, I'm spending August in London, you know, or like, yes, I'll be in Portland for two weeks. Like I can take a meeting, but I'll Mm -hmm. be on the road. So that's something I would love to do is kind of like pretend to be a local, you know, for a few weeks or months. Absolutely. I always prefer spending a few weeks somewhere if I can, as opposed to just a quick trip, because on the quick trip, you get all the tourist stuff out of the way. You know, maybe you see the hotspots, but it's so much more fulfilling to me to stay somewhere and go to even the same coffee shop three times because you get to know the barista there or whatever. I love that stuff. That is a really good small hill also is I highly recommend Mm. going to the same place multiple times on a vacation because getting to know Mm -hmm. the, the employees, you know, even on a short period of time, eating the thing that you really liked twice, that's great. 
And I have a lot of sort of FOMO about not doing all the things I want to do in a city, but taking yes. the sort of neighborhood approach of like, I'm going to have a routine for five days in Amsterdam, you know, and like that hmm. feels really cool and memorable to me way more than like I managed to fit in four museums. Wow. You know, what's interesting about that point is that trying new things it sort of speaks to this idea that we constantly have to be like checking off these boxes of look at this new thing I did. Look at this new thing I did. Look at this new place I went. But there's so much joy and satisfaction from, like you said, knowing this is your favorite kind of sandwich with exactly the mayo that you want and ordering it a second time. That feels fucking great. Exactly. It's a real sort of like productivity culture thing to think that you have to maximize your time in a place. And if you're only going to go there once, I totally mm. get it. But if I'm going on a vacation, you know, I want to be able to relax, read in a cafe a bunch of times and like know yes. what seat in the restaurant is the seat near the window that I want. Oh, yes. That's a really lovely way for me to kind of think back on trips that I've taken. That's lovely. Was relaxing on a vacation something that you and your family did? Or is that something that you've now built into your vacation routine as an adult? Definitely the latter. I'm one of four kids. And so the the few times that we did go on vacation, I'm on the oldest and it was always about wrangling the siblings and, you know, yep, getting yep. all the time we can out of this Disney World ticket because we're only going once and it was $100. Yep. That whole jam. As a high schooler and college student, because I was a YouTuber, I had friends all over the world. And so I was able to, you know, take buses and trains or like when I studied abroad in London, I took trains to visit my friends in a bunch of different cities mm. and most of them had school or work. So I'd be like crashing on their couch. They'd be at work for eight hours, you know, and I would sort of like walk around figuring out what to do. And yeah. so that idea of like, let me be a little mini local for a few days. I think that's probably mm. where I started that routine. And now Eric and I love just like going to a brewery or a distillery or a cafe in a city, you know, that we're in and reading and hanging out. And that is our favorite way yes. to see new places. Oh my God, I want to come on vacation with you two. That sounds like a dream. Can I bring a crossword puzzle? You can bring a crossword puzzle only if you buy brewery merch though and make most of your wardrobe brewery t-shirts because that's where I'm at currently. Absolutely. I don't own a single piece of brewery merch, if you can believe. Well, lots of great ones here in Brooklyn to take you to. I can't wait. That's that's our, that's our the move. I'm, I'm just speaking these things into the universe, Amanda. <laughs> Listen, going back to breweries is my like most exciting, tantalizing thing in front of me for this year. So you are welcome anytime. Thank you. So let me ask you this. It's a two-part question for you. Who would play you in a movie about your life? And should this be a biopic? So start to present day, or should this focus in on a particular period of time in your life so far? I think that the aforementioned sort of YouTube time period would be really interesting um, of just like, you know, for the first time in like 2007 and eight and nine, you could sort of see what some like a regular person on the other side of the world looks like, laughs mm. like, what their room is like, yeah. what their commute is like. And that was just such a wonderful and kind of world opening time period. And going to online video conferences, you know, meeting people for the first time, meeting fans, like being recognized places, mm -hmm. all of those are just like so interesting and novel. And I think as that becomes more and more understandable mm -hmm. and like parents understand that making stuff on the Internet can be a career now, which they didn't used mm -hmm. to. I think it's an interesting kind of like recent past, you know, like mm -hmm. time period piece. In terms of actors, I don't think there are a lot of medium fat actors. I'm kind of conscious of that. I've never been able to find like an actor mm -hmm. who I think looks like me. And so I would love mm -hmm. to 
to have an excuse for someone to be the protagonist and not just kind of like the best friend. But I yeah, hell yeah, I can't think of any examples, but I, I think that would be a very good kind of like breakout opportunity, hopefully for somebody. I love that because there is so much talent out there that's just waiting to come out. And the more that I think people like you, I don't want to be like people like me, but whatever, <laughs> people like us tell our own stories. I think that it does open more doors for like different types of people to be on screen. Wouldn't that be a treat? Yeah. And especially actors with tattoos, too, if there's anybody, they don't have to be the same as mine. I was just thinking it would be fun if this movie was also a heist movie. Oh, my God. That'd be so great. We took YouTuber Amanda, but then we had her conduct this like incredible heist. I think that would be so fun. I think that would be super fun. I would love to like steal student debt certificates. Like that's not how debt works, but I want it to be, you know, maybe in our movie, it could be exactly. Or like some like secondhand debt market, you know, has like bought up a bunch of debt packages and we can just like take the documents and destroy them. I think that would be my ideal heist. I'm sure that would be a very satisfying film. That's great. Okay. I'm excited about that. I think casting for that will be fun. I think it will get to meet a lot of cool people. I'm making this movie with you. (laughs) I forgot to tell you. (laughs) Good. Have you answered this question for yourself? It sort of depends on what part of my life we were focused in on. There are a few different actresses that I I think I seem enough like that (laughs) they could do it. And especially ones that are really talented. Of course, they're acting, so they could seem more like me. Totally. Some that I think come to mind. Recently, I was thinking Anna Kendrick could probably do this whole deal. I could see that. (laughs) I used to get a lot of Anne Hathaway. Perhaps she'd be up for the challenge. I think in sunglasses and a a ball cap, I would definitely uh, mistake you for Anne Hathaway and vice versa. Really? Ugh. I can totally see it. I love to hear it. (laughs) Just confidently walking into a hotel and using the lobby bathroom. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the first joke I ever wrote for stand-up was about how I look like Anne Hathaway. So she will hold a near and dear place in my heart forever and always. Full circle. (laughs) Amanda, what is the most memorable gift you've ever received or given? I don't think I'm a particularly good gift giver. Eric is a great gift really? giver, which makes me kind of ashamed and and feel under pressure often. But our first holiday season together, he made a little like scavenger hunt for me. Oh my God. The dream. That is the dream. I know. It it really is. The the opening note was like, there is a bomb. Quick, like let's find where it is. So it was kind of oh, high, yeah. my God. It was extremely fun. And there were like, you know, word puzzles and cryptography things and like hidden different parts wow. of the apartment. It was extremely great. And I've been trying to to match that, you know, for the last four years. But I'll let you know, I'm still working on it. How long had you guys been together when he did that? About, let me think, like four or five months. So he already knew you pretty damn well to pull something like that off. He was. And we were friends for several years, like internet friends mm-hmm. uh, for like five or six years before we started dating. So there is like some ambient knowledge, but he is very, <laughs> very good at uh, noticing little things about a person and like little, you know, objects mm. they'll enjoy or, you know, services or experiences that they'll really like. So it's it's quite a skill. It really is. And you feel like that's not a skill that you have. I like doing uh, like acts of service for people, you know, taking them out on a day or, you know, making their life easier, helping them like organize their kitchen or helping them move. Like those are things that I find really satisfying when I find something interesting. I want to read books about it. And that's not how everybody, you know, processes their interests. So I feel like I am I am constantly trying to be like, would I enjoy this? And that's why I want it. Or would they enjoy it, too? Mm -hmm. I am self-conscious about my gift giving abilities. For sure. I think I'm fine. I don't think anyone would ever say, you know who's amazing at giving gifts? Alexis. (laughs) But A, 
I feel like I seem like someone who's good at it. And so yeah. I feel a lot yeah. of pressure yeah. to live up to my own projection that I'm assuming other people think I'm good at gift giving. So whatever, we don't have to unpack that now, but that's part one. <laughs> and then part two is I come up with these incredible ideas, like 18 hours before I'm supposed to give the gift. Why? Yeah, that's tough. At that point, what do I do? I mean, I've definitely lied in the past and said that the shipping was delayed and really Mm -hmm. it's coming in the next like five to seven business days. I have a note on my phone about gifts for people. I try to just write down the great gifts that I think of in June for Christmas or Hanukkah and then go back to that note later on. Amanda, that's brilliant. You know what I got recently is an app that keeps track of all the birthdays in my life. Wow, that's a great idea. I feel like that's why I'm still on Facebook. I did not want to be on Facebook anymore, which is why I have the app. And it's excellent because you can put birthdays in and then it just sends you a push notification the morning of the birthday, or you can ask it to remind you beforehand. It's really helped me out a lot because I feel terrible when I forget somebody's birthday, but dates, time, and life and is hard. And you can quote me on that. After this last year, it's made up, man. <laughs> In this economy. <laughs> What's something you are really good at that it would surprise most people to learn about you? I read very quickly. I don't know mm. if that's necessarily surprising just given my personality, but I am like constantly reading all kinds of books of of all sorts. I love old books. I'll Mm. read books that I'm not really interested in just to sort of like see how they go. Over quarantine, like reading romance novels was my uh, strategy. And so I read like 150 books last year or something, some ridiculous number like that. Oh my goodness gracious. What percentage of those books were romance novels? Probably more than half because there's lots of series as well. But it's probably a good mix between half romance, maybe a quarter like crime and thriller and mystery. And then the rest, uh, a mix of like nonfiction, memoir. I like to read cookbooks just to read them, things like that. Really? I like when cookbooks tell a little bit of story like about the dishes, which is interesting because when I read a recipe online, that is the literal last thing I want at all. Right. But I think in the cookbook form, it's very welcome. I have a question. When you mentioned that you have read a lot of romance novels, I realized that I don't actually know what the definition of a romance novel is. Because a lot of books have a romantic theme. But what is, in your opinion, a romance novel? I think that there are definitely people who like have written in a scholarly way about this. But the thing I didn't realize about romance novels is that they are basically the well from which fandom and fanfic drink. And like growing oh. up and loving fanfic, being on Live Journal, on freaking Neopets, role playing boards, yes. like I was deep in it. And mm-hmm. all the things I loved about fan fiction, where it was like, let's see what coffee shop alternate universe, you know, like version of this character would be like. Those are tropes pulled from romance novels. Mm. I think that the main definition is like, you know, somebody who is either in a place where they don't think it's possible or they're really cynical about themselves or their lives mm. or like they are really facing something difficult and like they can't see a way forward. The the thing that I like most about fan fiction, too, where it's like, what is this character going through? Like, let's see what their journey is internally. And so that's what I love the most. And I love kind of slice of life romance novels where you hmm. get to know the person's like career and family and friends. And it's not about finding satisfaction through love. It's really about mm. what lets you in your life, you know, accept help, accept affection, achieve what you want, see yourself wow. and like honor your own desires, things like that. Wow, that sounds amazing. I should read more romance novels, it sounds like. I'm sold. Honestly, great, great. Good. 10 out of 10. No notes. I'm ready to read a romance novel. Highly recommended. Very cool. Have you ever thought about writing one? 
I have. I think sometimes when I can't fall asleep about what romance novel I would write and what tropes I find mm. really interesting, what characters I'd, I'd like to write. And I would love one day to do that. As a kid, I thought I'd be a writer. And I've ended up, you know, writing how to's and like writing, you know, podcast mm-hmm. uh, scripts and things like that. Mm-hmm. One day, I think that's definitely a dream and a goal of mine. I think you should absolutely do it. One girl's opinion. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Amanda, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Sounds good. Okay, are you ready? Yeah, I'm a little nervous. Oh, you're nervous? Why? I feel like I have to say something funny. You the really don't. <laughs> okay, if I told you that this episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by a company called Main Street, what would you think that they did? <laughs> what do I think Main Street would do? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anytime I hear something with street, I'm thinking like Wall Street or finance Ooh. or something. Mom and pop businesses. The town I live in has a Main Street. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's MainStreet.com if that helps. That helps a lot. Yeah. (laughs) It's better than BackAlley.com. Do you want to know what they do? I do, desperately. So Main Street helps venture-backed startups uncover tax credits they've never heard of in 20 minutes. That's incredible. Oh, so I was right with the finance thing. Oh my God, I see their ads on Twitter. How is anyone supposed to know where these tax credits are? A lot of the credits that they uncover are actually kind of obscure and not well-known by most CPAs. So even if you like have a CPA, it's still good to use Main Street. I have a call right after this with our head of BizOps. In all seriousness, if you're about to talk to your BizOps person, you should DM them the link. MainStreet.com. Com/technical. Yes. Ooh. I'm going to right now. Can you hear my keyboard? You should. It's I. If I had a startup, I would use them immediately. It seems like a no-brainer. And we are back with Amanda McLaughlin, the creator and CEO of Multitude. Amanda McLaughlin, we have reached a very exciting moment in this episode of Non-Technical. We have arrived at the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yay! Okay. Coffee or tea? Both. I like English breakfast and cold brew. Really? Okay. Any milk, any cream, any sugar? I love an oat milk. I've been a non-dairy milk drinker for a long time. Ooh, before it was cool. Oat milk is sort of like the the thing that I was missing. It's great. It's really delicious. <laughs> Do you have a favorite board game? Uh, we play Scrabble pretty often. And my sort of personality is such that you would think I'm good at it, but I never played it mm-hmm. until very recently. I would definitely say you're good at Scrabble. You're right, that you're putting that energy out there. We have a, a notes app where we're kind of like graphing our individual scores over time, and I, I'm definitely improving. Oh, yes. I'm improving. See, that's that kind of healthy competition that I think helps relationships thrive. You know, it's it's a useful thing for me as somebody who has trouble like owning my own pitfalls where I get to say, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to play Scrabble. I'm going to know that halfway through, I'm going to hate it. And if I, you know, mm-hmm. can't find a word, I'm going to think this is not fun, but it is fun in the end. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just a little challenge for me. That's beautiful. When you make your bed, do you use a top sheet or no top sheet? Duvet only, baby. Duvet only. Very interesting. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Is that what you had growing up? Absolutely not. I made my bed with hospital corners and a top sheet and a comforter and a blanket my whole life and my siblings' beds for that matter. But studying abroad in London, I was introduced to the magic of the duvet. And now we we actually each have a duvet because I love to be, you know, all like curled up like a burrito when sleeping. Mm -hmm. Swaddled. You know, really colorful sheets. You can wash the duvet more often than you wash a comforter. Yeah. It is really worth it. Yeah, that's great. So you've read a ton of books, but my question is have you ever read a book twice? I often read books twice. I have a sort of like stable of books that I go back to when I am feeling lonely or homesick or, and books that I make myself reread every three or four years just to sort of Hmm. see what hits different for me as I grow up. Hmm. What's one of those? The Bell Jar is one that I have read like Mm -hmm. every other summer 
on a beach one day pretty much mm-hmm. for the last like 10 years or so and i annotate it each year in a different colored pencil oh, yes so i can see what hits the same and what hits different and then walt whitman's leaves of grass which is like a poetry anthology mm. i have like several copies because i've annotated them so heavy over the years and being able to flip mm-hmm. back and say like at 15 you know what lines did i think were profound is humbling sometimes but also you know it's a nice way to sort of stay connected I think I was maybe 11 when I read The Bell Jar for the first time, which is a mood. That is definitely one that I should reread. I would be so interested to see what you think of it and what parts you just completely forgot, what parts are overrepresented in your brain, how the prose hits you versus the plot. I would love to hear that. This is what we're going to talk about at the brewery. As a friendship act, if you want to just read it for me and then tell me what you think. Yeah, I'll do that. That would be great. See, this is a gift I can do. Hell yeah. Clear direction. (laughs) I know you're going to like it. Like, this is the type of thing that I can accomplish. We love it. And I heard that you enjoy a birthday plan being made for you. So if you'd like a brewery crawl at any point, you just tell me when and the details will be taken care of. It is something I love so much. I'm like, please, someone else handle this. Amanda, do you have a pump up song? The theme song to Ballers begins with the phrase, haters in the building. And... We play it whenever we play that specific like 20 seconds of that song, like the the theme song cut of whatever that song's actual name is. I just call it Haters in the Building. Oh, my but it God. is a particularly good That's song great. to get pumped up for like a conference call or like a meeting where I'm going to have to say no to somebody. Yes. It's great. Amanda, I cannot wait to listen very, to, this song, yeah, yeah. to the Google, theme song Google Ballers, uh, ballers uh, you know, theme song. It's great. Yeah, 100 percent. I can't wait. And finally, what would you title your memoir? Smash that subscribe. It has to be. It has to be. Beautiful. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's perfect. Wow. I can't wait to read that. I also can't wait to read the romance novel that you're probably going to write and I'm going to consume voraciously. Amanda McLaughlin, thank you so much for coming on Non-Technical today. Just always a treat to see you, but especially a treat to now know that you have graced my podcast with your presence. Where can people find more about you online? Yes, I am at She's So Mickey on all of the social as a holdover from my YouTube days. And I make a bunch of podcasts that I think your listeners might find really interesting. My co-host Spirits, which is a, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore, talking about particularly kind of queer and feminist folk tales throughout the world. I'm a player on Join the Party, which is a storytelling podcast told through Dungeons and Dragons. So we're doing a modern superhero campaign where I play like a lesbian forest ranger and I really love it. And we're just fighting bad guys, you know, in the name of like uh, socialism, basically. And it's super fun. And then I help produce a show called This Is Good For You, which is hosted by Nicole Perkins, uh, who's the co-host of Thirst Aid Kit. And it is a show about talking to people about things that bring them pleasure. And that ranges from, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of dom and sub lifestyles all the way to Mm -hmm. needlework and plants and baking bread and it's so much fun to work on but all of that can be found at the website for multitude which is multitude.productions along with articles on how to make a podcast free consulting for members of underrepresented groups in audio and a bunch of other toolkits for creators who you know want to start making stuff wow oh my gosh you're doing so many cool things amanda and fun fact i consulted your website before i launched this show hey and this is a great podcast Did you know that no i didn't know that that's so sweet <laughs> I was like, oh, I should probably do my research. I literally, you were my first thought. I was like, oh, multitude, duh. So yeah, 
So full circle, you're on a show that I started in part because I read your website. You know, I maybe then it's narcissistic for me to say this is a well-structured and branded show, but you know what? I, I'm going <laughs> to lean into it. This uh, Great. I, I love this. Yay. And you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay on Twitter and Instagram or at non-technicalpod on Twitter. One more time, Amanda. Thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. 